good messages on that answering machine. It was always bad news. Welcome everybody to the Super 70 Sports Podcast. Today's show, I can't wait to get started. Anybody who follows at Super 70 Sports knows that I am a uniform and logo junkie. And my guest today is the perfect man to discuss this topic with. Todd Radom is a major player in the sports design industry. And if you don't know who Todd is, let me tell you, his resume is extensive. Todd created the visual identities of the Los Angeles Angels of Anaheim and the Washington Nationals. He designed the logo for Super Bowl 38. He designed the logo for the 2009 NBA All-Star Game, as well as the Basketball Hall of Fame. He designed the logo for the 2014 MLB All-Star Game and the World Baseball Classic, and the list goes on and on. You should really move over to ToddRadom.com after this podcast, take a look at his work, check out his great blog, and see all of the other designs that he has created that you're familiar with, but you just didn't know who the man was behind the design. But hey... Let's move right into the topic of the, today's show and talk 1970s logos and uniforms. Joining me now on the Super 70 Sports Hotline, Mr. Todd Radom. Hi, Todd. Thanks for coming on. Hey, Ricky. Thank you so much for having me. Hey, I got to tell you, I'm so excited about this one. Uh, you know, ever since you agreed to come on the podcast, I've been thinking about this. All my thoughts on uh, uniforms and logos have kind of been rushing over me like a fever. So uh, to, to, to have a professional uh, on, the, on the line with me today is uh, fantastic. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. And I think more than being a professional like you, I'm an enthusiast and always have been, you know, logos and uniforms, people people are just passionate. They love their logos and uniforms. And, you know, my, my professionalism stems from being one of those people for, for many, many, many years. Well, let me ask you, uh, before we really get into our critique and discussion and maybe even a little bit of debate about uh, 70s uh, uniforms and logos, uh, how did you uh, ultimately get into your career and find your calling? question it's kind of a meandering answer but i'll try to keep it on the the straightforward path so um just you know it starts with family i am you know i'm a so i'm a graphic designer obviously and do some other creative stuff but i am a fourth generation working artist so uh i always say that my my role models were right there in my own home uh so i've got you know my father sort of sort of was a creative jack of all trades did design and copywriting and photography my grandfather was a painter and illustrator uh his his father was a painter i have a bro my brother's a photographer and a retoucher and i've got a cousin who's a jazz drummer and you know so it was always sort of like you know a career in the arts wasn't necessarily a slam dunk but it was never discouraged and uh you know i always loved this stuff so um Went to the School of Visual Arts in New York City, which is, a, you know, I feel the finest art college in America. Um, 
you know, and I emerged out of there doing um, in in the world of book publishing. So just pumping out book covers. And uh, I've always been a sports fan, obviously. Um, got assigned a ton of, at that time, specifically baseball books. Baseball books were just huge in the late 80s, far more so than now. I mean, you know, obviously print is different than it was then. And uh, long story short, I accrued a pretty good portfolio of baseball-related projects, something I was really passionate about and knowledgeable about and could execute. And, you know, always done a lot of freelance work in the middle, and uh, I accrued enough of a portfolio of this kind of stuff that I I cold-called Major League Baseball, literally, you know, did a portfolio drop-off. Lo and behold, I got a response. They said, why don't you come in for a meeting? And let's see, I was, you know, 27, 26, something like that. Wow. And, and you know, I really went in there, and I said, listen, you know, I'm, I thank you, I appreciate the opportunity to talk, but not only do do I do this stuff, but I'm your best customer. I mean, I'm the kind of guy that, you know, in college days and post-college, you know, I would, with a couple of buddies of mine, we would literally rent a car in Jersey and, you know, do a road trip for the weekend. We'd go to a White Sox game, drive to Chicago, go to a White Sox-Cubs game, go up to Milwaukee for a Brewers game, you know, hit the Pirates on the way home, maybe go to the Blue Jays. I mean, we would plan this stuff out. Wow. And, of course, this was pre-pre-pre-pre-internet. So, you know, that passion and, and uh, expertise really – you know, gave me this platform, and uh, it's it's a niche, and I've been involved with it ever since, and that's a long time ago. Well, I I, I certainly am aware of uh, much of your work, and and really appreciate uh, the work that you've done. I, I've got to ask you, what's it like seeing a major league team adorned in your vision? And, you know, you'll have to, you got to know that one of the weird things about the whole deal is the fact that, you know, I work on this stuff pretty far in advance. So the stuff is banked. It obviously has to go through, you know, uh, you know uh, this, this meandering uh, journey involving many stakeholders and levels of approval. It really is a process. And, you know, it's kind of like sitting there and then all of a sudden come opening day or a specific event, boom, there it is. And, you know, the, the biggest example of that that I could probably give you was I designed the logo for Super Bowl 38, which was played in Houston in 2004. And, you know, that was really something. Uh, obviously, you know, we just experienced the, the Super Bowl. Um, but uh, it didn't really hit me until... <laughs> It's kind of stupid, but it's true. Walking into the supermarket like two weeks beforehand, seeing that logo applied to cakes and balloons and <laughs> napkins and all that kind of crap, you know, before it hit the field, it was like, wow, this is really like, you know, orders of magnitude. So, <laughs> yeah, it <laughs> but, sure is. Doesn't I mean, get bigger than the Super been Bowl doing it for a long time, and I've never lost that feeling. It's really, it's, it's a fantastic thing, and I think it is because I am such a fan. Well, it's pretty good stuff. I mean, you 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 see uh, Mike Trout and, uh, and 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 Bryce Harper uh, on their uh, on their uh, steady path to uh, legendary status, and they're they're doing it. Uh, you know, what are you wearing? I'm wearing a Todd Radom. <laughs> it's like designer clothing. I'm not quite sure if they know that, but that is a cool thing. And you know, like I said, I've been around the 
you know, doing this for long enough that, you know, I've got some, some of my work is in the Hall of Fame. And, you know, when that happens, it's nothing to do with me. But um, knowing that, you know, it's kind of like it just gets like this, this, I don't know, staying power. It's, 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 a, it's, a, it's a very, very cool thing, and it's something I've never taken for granted. Okay, let's get down to brass tacks here. I, I'm, right. I'm going to start us out with this. 1970s baseball. We're both baseball guys. I know that we're, we're both sports fans in the, in the broader sense, and we're going to get to the other leagues as well. But starting with MLB, got to ask you, where do you stand on baseball head mascots because I feel like we have a real paucity today. <laughs> you know, we used to have Mr. Red, Mr. Met, the Texas Rangers logo had a baseball with no face wearing a cowboy hat. What ha what happened to all the baseballs that were wearing the hats? I I, I feel yeah, cheated that's, today. That's good, I don't know, that's a good call. I mean, you know, it's like I, I I will say that I you know, I grew up in the New York area. I still live in the New York area. My first ever game I went to was at Shea Stadium in nineteen seventy one. I saw the Mets play mm. Uh, Roberto Clemente and the Pittsburgh Pirates, and I to this day have a like a, a baseball holder, right, with a little you know little platform at the bottom uh, that my parents got for me. I still have it; it's out, and on it is very proud Mr. Met, you know, chest <laughs> puffed out, yes. big baseball head. But you're right; I mean, that was a thing, and I mean, I guess you could really take it back even further. Mr. Red dates back to 1953. So Mr. Met was kind of like a Johnny-come-lately, and then everybody after that, you know, they're way the line, right? <laughs> right. Pretenders. Is yeah, what they absolutely. Are. <laughs> yeah. How, how about you? What do you? I mean, let's let's hear something about. That. I don't know. I I, I think that I, I, maybe you don't see it as much in baseball, and I don't want to jump ahead uh, out of baseball too much. But I, I feel like it, it, over the course of uh, you know the past decade or or maybe a little more, the focus has been more on your logo needs to be fierce. The logo yeah. needs to be angry or intimidating or, or, or whatever. Whatever happened to just the the happy the happy logo? <laughs> oh yeah, no, that's for a long time, and you know there are some really specific reasons for that. Uh, among them, you know, this sort of very overt appeal to youth, mm -hmm. um, and you know the rise of licensing and the stakes involved with how this stuff gets applied and sold. So I always think about the fact that, you know, for instance, I mean, going even further back before I think either of us were born, you know, the St. Louis Browns in the in the early 50s come up with this goofy, you know, brownie mascot with big ears and dealy boppers. <laughs> I mean, can you imagine that? And then, you know, you fast forward through the years and, you know, they, they become the Orioles, for instance. You got that great, you know, happy bird that was recently brought back. The yes, thankfully, bird. thankfully. But, but you yeah, I mean, as as logos got, uh, you know, uh, basically, you know, everything got black, purple, and silvered up in the early '90s. It really kind of dovetails with that, um, and and things ebb and flow, and you know, we lost some fun somewhere along the way, right? I think we did. I mean, the '70s were were, were just an explosion of explosion of color. For one thing, I, it, one of the things that I that kind of bums me out visually about today's game is, uh, you know, there's so much blue, there's so much red, and you don't have quite as much 
Uh, and, and you know, I don't know. Maybe maybe this is my imagination, but it just seems like uh, the the variety in terms of design. Maybe it's not even so much the colors as just a little bit more variety. Every team kind of has their uh, you know their softball solid color uh, you know alternate or their Sunday jersey or what have you. And uh, I, I you know you don't see the uh, uh, the jerseys that really stand out from the rest, like certainly uh, the, the Astros tequila sunrise or the or the or the pirates huge pinstripes and I know that there are a lot of people who probably wouldn't want to see those things return but I know from I know from running the the, the Twitter account there's a good many of us at least of a certain age that probably would welcome the return of some of these designs yeah I mean I think you know a couple of things need to be said number one you know the the explosion of Technicolor in the 70s was really a reaction. You know, it started with Charlie Finley, right? And, mm -hmm. you know, in the early 60s, he was way out of the curve with this stuff. And, uh, you know, color TV comes into play. And like so many things, everything kind of like maybe moved over the line <laughs> in the 70s. So, you know, it was like this, this, uh, you know, I, I, I look upon the 70s in every respect as the weirdest decade, right? <laughs> I don't care what. I, I'll, I'll challenge anybody alive today to come up with anything weirder. I mean, here, you know, Richard Nixon's the president. People are wearing, you know, leisure suits, and the hair was weird, and the, the facial hair, and our appliances, and, you know. The, Everything was that sick oh, green. What was it? It was harvest yeah, gold like that, and. Yeah, harvest, harvest gold <laughs> and puke green and all that stuff. Everything. And that's the way contact paper yeah. and all this business. So, Shag so carpet. Sense that you know sports uniforms track that, and it went too far, and then really you know it only started pulling back. I mean, I'll tell you what, I'm I'm uh, despite having grown up in the New York area, I'm a Boston Red Sox fan and have been, you know, since I was a little kid. And I remember, you know, again pre-internet, how do you get your how do you get your visuals turning on a game or seeing some news that opening day in 1979 the Red Sox go back to uh, button-down uniforms, navy helmets instead of red, and I think you had something on your Twitter feed about this not too long ago. I did. I'm on, I'm on Team Red Helmet. I got to tell you. Yeah, I am too. I mean, but you know, but the the Red Sox are a you know a a, uh, a heritage franchise if you if you want to call it that. Certainly. And you know that was the beginning. You know, and that was still in the '70s, right? But but like like disco demolition night. Uh, you know, being the the the. You know the the, the the shot that ended the uh, ended the disco era, that ended the uh, you know the pullover and, and colorful era for me. Speaking of the pullovers, I mean, where, where, where do you stand on the pullovers? I kind of, I almost kind of wish a couple of teams would would go back to the pullover just for the sake of uh, uh, adding a little bit to something different to the mix. Yeah, I agree. You know, with the pullovers, there was something. Um, now, listen, every franchise can't do it again you know we're never going to see the yankees and pullovers we didn't then and we won't now we shouldn't see the dodgers and pullovers right but you know a team like the blue jays an expansion team those you know the uninterrupted nature of not having to deal with buttons meant that you had this you know i love the blue jays uniforms back then love them now too but you know you had this great decoration right on the belly that you you know that had to move off to the side when they went button down. Right. So yeah, I mean there are several franchises I think that could benefit from that, and it really opens up the you know if you look at the uniform as sort of like this blank canvas, uh, it opens up a lot of possibilities. 
So if I'm asking you your personal favorites from the 70s, what are some teams that spring to mind? In baseball, well, you know, I've got this, uh, I mean, I'll, I'll just throw a couple out here and you should, you know, jump on in and react. I mean, it all starts and ends with the with the Astros tequila sunrise, right? I mean, I remember just being astonished seeing that on the Saturday game of the week early in the 1975 season. It, was, it represented this, like, total reinvention of, of, you know, of what a sports uniform could be to me at that time, right? Uh, and there's something just joyous and, and just so weird, and this is a team that played in the first dome and all this kind of stuff. But beyond that, um, you know, I think about the 79 World Series and just seeing that on oh. color TV, being with my parents at a restaurant, right? Like, we went out for dinner, and on the TV, I'm seeing orange against, you know, yellow, black, all that kind of stuff. It's just crazy. So those, so those Pirates uniforms, I think, were super, super, like, you know, just something crazy and wonderful. And you pair them up with those caps, and they're great. Um, you know, the, the Oakland A's, of course, because they, they were so prominent, and they played in three straight World Series in those uniforms. But, you know, the whole powder blue Mm. Uh, as road uniform, I think. Oh, is, yes. We need to bring that back. A comeback. I love the, the Expos, um, even before the Racing Stripe Expos, right? When, yes. You know, sort of just a beautiful uniform with that, that cap. And I've always said that they looked like, to me, a team from a different country, right? Yes. It really, really yes. worked. Th that um, really worked. And that was, I mean, that, that, that uh, uh, tri-panel hat... Uh, was such a departure from anything that uh, that anyone was wearing at that time. I mean, it was. I've actually heard uh, uh, Expos players from that era, I forget whom, but say that uh, the guys on other teams were laughing at them because yes. the, you know, say go, you know, you go back to the circus or whatever. But I, right, but right. I, where are the propellers? Right, <laughs> right. right. But I, lo I love that cap. Well, and I'll tell you, a very underrated and and uh, sort of short-lived uh, uniform set was, of course, you know, close your eyes and think of maybe the, the seminal individual moment of the 70s in baseball, and that's Hank Aaron hitting his 715th oh. in that Braves uniform, and the road version of that, that, that royal blue, and I'll tell you what, I had, you know, I write for Sporting News, I'm a contributing writer, and uh, I had an opportunity several months ago to speak at great length with uh, a fellow named Waylon Moore, who was the Atlanta Braves graphic designer in those years, uh, and he designed those uniforms. And he told me all about the process, um, about what he was aiming for, about this sort of, you know, move toward modern, but with some sort of classy elements built in. And, you know, that's that's a pretty amazing uniform. That's my favorite, right? my favorite Braves uniform. The sleeves are a stroke yeah. of genius. Um, well, you know, he, he, he talked about, you know, the... the Again, you know, this, this totality of, you know, why not design the sleeves? Think about how they interact with, you know, with the, with the front of the uniform and how the lettering interacts. And, you know, everything was designed on that, and everything was intentional. And uh, it's pretty, you know, in this bold age of experimentation, he really gave great, great thought to it. And I don't think, I suspect that wasn't necessarily the case with a lot of other teams. 
Yeah, that's really interesting because lots of times uh, we really, I mean, it's really the the exception rather than the rule when we know the backstory of where some of these uniform designs came from. Uh, and and it's, it's interesting to me, you know, even speaking with you about this, how many people in the world know that you designed the Angels or the Nationals uniforms or that you designed right. the Brewers uh, uh, back in the 90s. I mean, people just don't don't know even i even i didn't know until pretty recently myself and and, and so it's it, it's like these these guys who have made such terrific contributions in my opinion to to our sports culture and yet they're they they've done so in anonymity and uh probably not compensated uh, you know particularly back in the day probably not compensated uh very well either I mean, and again, you know, a guy like, I mean, uh, you, you could really, really take this way, way, way far back, um, you know, at the turn of the 20th century, you had managers basically designing uniforms, and they'd have some manufacturer come in and, you know, execute that vision, but, uh, you know, graphic design really didn't get professionalized, and this is part of graphic design, it's not necessarily fran uh, about fashion, until uh, there's a, a the, the art director for the Wrigley Company, uh, guy guy by the name of, 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 of um, I'm having like a, a total brain fart right now. It's been a long, long day, and, and the guy's all Otis Shepard. Sorry about that. <laughs> Otis Shepard designed the Chicago Cubs uniforms for Phil Wrigley in the 30s, and, you know, really professionalized design for sports. I can't believe I, I froze on his name just now because he's probably the most influential graphic designer in the history of sports. But he did the the, the uniforms for the uh, All American Girls Professional League, mm. uh, designed the Cubs uniforms, you know, for years. Designed the bleachers at Wrigley Field and the scoreboard and the flags and all this stuff. Goodness! So you know everything kind of stems from there. But at that time, you know, there really wasn't a licensed industry uh, i mean let's let's face it you really couldn't buy a replica jersey if that's what you're into uh until not so long ago in the scheme of things you know 25 years or whatever and uh yeah, i mean there's there's money riding on it now in a way that really wasn't then I, you know that's interesting to me uh the money aspect of it and how much of a team's uh, obviously in professional sports, there's a, the financial consideration is is probably omnipresent uh, in in the minds of the uh, executives. But I I wonder how much of the decision in terms of um, where teams are going to go when they when they launch a a, a new logo or, or or they redesign their their uniforms. Uh, how much of that is it with you know, how much how much revenue can we generate in terms of uh, jersey sales and, and, and things of that nature? I don't really think it's a consideration because you have to consider the fact that because of uh, the the uh, structure of each of these leagues, it's all you know governed by a properties division. So if a major league baseball team, you know, the Arizona Diamondbacks, for instance, change their uniforms. For the most part, they split those proceeds thirty ways, so it's really not a cash, okay. you know, cash cow at all. Nine times out of ten, I always say this: changes in professional sports identity are based upon one of two things. Number one is to break uh, this cycle of failure. If you are associated <laughs> with an era of failure, you know, you change up the look, uh, whatever that might be, and you know, it's a statement to your fan base. 
And then number two, a change of ownership. Let's face it, mm-hmm. owners of professional franchises are, for the most part, billionaires, unless you're the Green Bay Packers, right, which is an unusual <laughs> model. And uh, billionaires who uh, acquire this franchise want to impart their stink on it. Do, do you do, that's a great way of putting it do 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 teams devalue themselves in some way if they go to that well too often over a relatively short period of time they can it's a very good point you make uh, they can um, I you know and again I think it really depends upon the franchise a team like you know this tradition bound franchise for all the right reasons like the St. Louis Cardinals or the Yankees you know they should really never change they can dabble around the edges but you know there are certain teams that that uh, have have you know you you can sort of chip away at, at your equity your visual equity to the point that it causes sort of marketplace confusion mm-hmm. and uh, you do see that on occasion you definitely see that on occasion and again it wasn't as big an issue you know in we're talking about the 70s you know a team like the Padres changed their uniforms almost annually <laughs> in the 70s um, you know they kept the core colors. Uh, of, of you know brown and gold, but you know that 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 identity thing really wasn't as uh, structured to the extent that it is now. And really, the number of stakeholders involved, the people who have their fingers in this stuff, and the number of games broadcast, the the, the visual impressions were you know probably far less back then. So it wasn't as big an issue. The Padres are are an interesting case for me. I mean. First of all, they were the they were the only team in baseball when I was a kid that, unless I'm really blanking somewhere, for whom brown was a part of their color scheme. I, yeah. I can't think of another team in baseball during in that baseball, time. Baseball, no. I mean, there have really only been the St. Louis Browns, but well before our time, and the Padres. And, you know, I'm ambivalent about this. I'll be honest with you, and I've said this to lots of people in lots of places. You know, I saw those uniforms play in person. Um, you know, there's been a great, there's great affection for them uh, locally, and you know they're funky looking and they're different and all that. But you know, I've always said that you know brown, brown is like UPS. It's like <laughs> brown is. There's a reason you don't right. have a lot of. Teams. There's something else that brown gets compared to that we won't mention. But uh, when well, people, I, I didn't go there. You, you alluded to it, but you didn't take yeah. it over the line. But but you know, and I also say that you know in today's world. You know, think about your in-stadium experience or think about watching a game on on TV, right? You walk into, I don't know, I was in Cincinnati last year, right? And that is a red experience. The seats are red. There are mm-hmm. LED lights that are all over the place. You know, ribbon boards that are red. There is a visual unity that exists. Yes. Uh, now, imagine activating brown. Uh, and imagine, you know, just everything in that stadium being brown. Uh, brown ribbon. I mean, it's just you know, not necessarily, don't don't wish what you. Well, I'm, I'm a bring. Work out well. I'm a bring back the brown guy, but I, but I will admit you're making me stop and think. <laughs> because, you know, listen, the, the Padres this year are going to trot out brown at home on Friday nights as part yes. of their regular repertoire. So I think they did a nice thing. They they understood the fact that there was a uh, you know a if not a an outcry um, that that uh, a segment of the population wanted it, and it's fun. I mean that's a great thing. And you know there too you you know I was out there a couple of times last year. You walk around that ballpark, you see people in you know brown and gold jerseys, and you see blue. And yes, they can coexist. And I think so long in that case as Navy's uh, you know 
driving the bus, then the brown can live. Yeah, well, I was out there a couple of years ago myself, and one of the things that, that struck me, they were, they were playing the Cardinals, and Cardinals fans travel well anyway but uh it, it all as you were looking around the ballpark uh it was a little bit visually deceiving because of course all the cardinals fans are wearing red and the the padres contingent i i kind of felt was was split up into various factions you know across the ball some people it, you know and it didn't it did you know you go to a dodger game and i go to a dodger game the next day and of course it's a sea of blue and for the padres you've got you got some people that are wearing the throwbacks you got other people that are wearing the uh you know the late '90s uh, era navy uh, right. uh, blues. You got other people that are wearing the the current uniform set, and it was just kind of just uh, looked a little bit like mixed up confusion. No, totally. And I'll I'll give you two things. Number one, I always say this, but sports is very tribal in nature. We're part of a community. We're part of a tribe. So if you are, you know, uh, part of the Dodgers tribe, you're all about blue. Uh, the Angels, even if they're not rivals, they're in the same geographic area. They are red, and I always compare it, you know, Coke is red, Coke is established, and Pepsi is blue, and Pepsi is younger, right? And so on mm -hmm. down the line. As it relates to the San Diego Padres, I've gotten to know Dave Winfield pretty well uh, the last couple of years, and I actually, with my company, Brantheon, which is a, kind of a, you know, different thing from Todd Radom Design, uh, we just developed a brand for Dave Winfield, and it's being attached to merchandise and so forth. And I asked Dave about, you know, the Padres, and I said, you know, are the Padres navy blue or are they brown? Because, you know, he knows that situation better than anyone, right? Right, absolutely. Right now in that franchise's history, history right now, um, you know, with Tony Gwynn no longer being with us, but, but he said something which I thought was really interesting, and he said, you know, is it brown or is it blue? And he's like, well, you know what? winning will decide the day that they win a world <laughs> series that's going to tip the balance one way or the other and uh i thought it was a really yeah he's probably right observation. yeah yeah he's right uh yeah until then i guess it's still kind of a jump ball <laughs> uh, yeah and you know what we do live in a world where uh you know the university of oregon uh starting several years ago started trotting out a different uniform and helmet combination for every one of their football games oh. and we do live in a world where you know people are determining whatever their identity is and this is you know it's life in 2016 so that could well transcend to sports uniforms and yeah you could dilute it to the degree that you referenced earlier but uh if you could somehow find a way to make that hang together you know, maybe it's not the worst thing in the world. Okay, well, I, that that is a that's a point that I, I think is 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 worth some further examination. What we've seen, uh, especially at the collegiate level, with what seems to be <laughs> with some teams, it's just a different a, a different look every every week. Um, yeah. And and for the most part, up until now, we haven't really seen that in, invade the the four main professional leagues yet is that an inevitability <laughs> or, or is it going to get to the point where we're, we're seeing uh, th that sort of thing going on in MLB the the the, the NFL etc because when Nike got the NFL uniform deal uh, yeah. I sort of feared for lack of a better term I feared the Nikeization of the NFL I concur absolutely well I mean I think to you know, to a, a small extent, we're starting to see this. 
Um, an example of this would be the fact that I think it was two seasons ago, maybe three at this point. I don't know. It's you know, the years are flying by here. But the Milwaukee Brewers utilized 13 different uniforms mm. in the course of their 162 game regular season. Goodness. Okay, so think about that. And I'm talking, you know, one offs, uh, alternates, you know, uh, Negro League salutes, throwbacks, all this kind of stuff. Uh, turn on an NBA game on any given night, and you're going to see hardwood classics. You know, the Warriors, for instance, prominent team defending champions, they're wearing their city jerseys. They are, you know, I yeah. mean, they're, 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 we're already seeing... Yeah, the Pacers you know, uh, uh, wearing the hickory from, from Hoosiers. Yeah, exactly. I was just thinking that. Yeah. Exactly. And that doesn't, you know, there's no team identifier whatsoever. Uh, with the Pacers, but, you know, it's fun stuff, and people know who they're looking at, I guess, at the end of the day, but, but yeah, if Oregon and, you know, Maryland and the colleges have really taken this to this crazy level, I'm not sure you're ever going to see the, uh, you know, the Boston Red Sox trotting out 162 different uniforms necessarily, <laughs> but, um, you know, if, if a team like the, uh, the Padres or the Brewers or, you know, think of there are several teams who really do uh, run a different lookout with great frequency uh you know maybe it's not the worst thing in the world there either sports is about fun and you know um as long as it's not overtly commercial i suppose people aren't going to get turned off with it who, who are the grandfathers of, of the mix and match i mean is there is are we going back to the the early 70s athletics with that no i mean you can you can go way way back i mean baseball has had alternate uniforms uh, for, you know, dating back to the early years of the 20th century. The Cubs um, in the 30s were running out four different uniforms a year. I have, you know, uh, some reference that I found, which, you know, uh, the, the Chicago Chuck Klein will be wearing four different uniforms this year. Hack Wilson's <laughs> being outfitted with, you know, eight uniforms, two <laughs> two sets of home and road. I mean, so, you know, and, and sometimes they were just, you know, absolutely unconnected to uh, everything else within the set. Um, I discovered this year that, that for instance, there's a... a kind of an obscure Chicago Cubs uniform, not to get into the weeds, with a beautiful script letter forms that read Cubs on the on the chest, right? I mean, Babe Ruth hit his, you know, cold shot home run against uh, Charlie Root, wearing, uh, who was wearing that uniform. Well, you know, the Cubs at that time, like they are now, were, you know, were blue and red, but this uniform just came to light was black and gold. I mean, it had nothing to do with anything. So really, back a long, I long way. did yep. not know that. Yeah, that's pretty yep, out. Yep. That's pretty out there, even by today's standards. <laughs> it is, and like everything else, things kind of settled into this very comfortable space in the 1950s. Uh, you know, like America itself in the Eisenhower years. It's this metaphor for conformity, and so uh, by the early 60s, when Charlie Finley. Uh, sent the Kansas City Athletics out in the crazy-looking, you know, gold and green uniforms. We, uh, you know, they lived in a world where every team wore gray on the road, and uh, you know, it was for the most part a a blue and red world with a couple of exceptions here and there. But it was sort of this sea of uh, vanilla pudding by <laughs> by today's standards. Yeah, I, I wonder where we're headed. Um, you know, if you had to look into your crystal ball uh, ahead 20 or so years, 
uh, you know, is there anything that you think is on the horizon stylistically or, or any sort of tipping point that we're going to hit that is going to change things from what we've been used to over the course of the last decade or so? That's a great question. And, you know, I'm always, a, you know, I think it's very instructive to, as we look forward, to look backward. And, uh, you know, if we're looking forward 20 years, well, let's take a look backward 20 years and see how things changed. Because these, you know, like so many things, these things run in very finite cycles. Now, uh, I'll point to the fact that uh, I look at 1987 as this turning point, And really, that's when the, the 70s and early 80s died. Because in 1987, I think something like seven teams adopted very traditional uniforms in Major League Baseball with buttons. And, you know, it was a complete uh, rejection of everything that came before. Uh, we look forward now to today, years later, and, you know, and, and that's almost 30 years. Um, and things are pretty much the same. It is a, you know, we have a template where, you know, teams wear belts and everybody's wearing buttons, right? We talked about this, and the cap is a cap. We don't see much stirrup, but, you know, that's unfortunate that that's really been lost, but that's a function of, you know, I don't know, it's, it's player player preferences. But all of a sudden this year, we're going to see something that I don't know if it, if it means that it's a trend or not, but it's kind of like the first rock thrown through a window, and that is the fact that the Arizona Diamondbacks yes. are going to wear uniforms with sublimated printing. And for those who really aren't you know, uh, in tune with what that is or maybe you haven't seen them, um, it's like a pattern that is printed directly on the jersey. And if you think about uh, the NBA of the 90s, these big, big patterns, the Milwaukee Bucks and the Raptors, right? This mm -hmm. was very popular mm -hmm. then. The technique has been, uh, you know, much improved upon in the 20 years since. So, you know, all of a sudden we've got something a little bit different. If I look down the road, I think it's really, really difficult to think this way because, again, we live in a world where trends are so ephemeral. They come and they go so quickly that it's almost impossible to project a year forward and imagine what that might be. Um, Sports graphics in general really devolved from all of the craziness that took place in the 90s. At that time, we were transitioning as professionals from, you know, doing things traditionally, literally drawing them and taking photographs of them to, you know, everything being digital and working on the computer. So we were able to do things that we couldn't do before. And consequently, things really kind of like blew up. It was this era of experimentation. Well, everything devolved there. I think we're ready to ramp it back up to maybe some things that are a little bit uh, more flamboyant again. I, I think that you you may be right, and I'm a. I think you're very likely right, actually. And while I'm a fan of flamboyance, uh, the kind of flamboyance that we may be headed for. Uh, <laughs> might bring out the old fogey in me. <laughs> I mean, suddenly become a traditionalist. Listen, but it, yeah, I mean, I, I think that, you know, you've got to do your personal market testing. If there's, you know, somebody in your life who is, uh, you know, 20 years old and is a sports fan, they are totally embracing, you know, these these really, you know, outlandish NBA uniforms maybe from the 90s. You know, we all associate, this is how this conversation with you and I started. We all have an affinity for, you know, what we grew up with, but uh, there's a generation of people whose, uh, you know, attention spans are different from ours might have been. 
um, and whose you know set of standards in terms of their expectations of what their teams are going to look like as sports fans. I mean, uh, I'll give you an example. Um, I recently spoke with somebody probably in their late twenties who I know, and they were talking about you know the the the, the Nike color rush uniforms uh, mm-hmm. in the NFL, which were you know moved out on Thursday nights late in the season. And they just loved them, you know. I might say, geez, the Buffalo Bills are like crap in all red, big, you know, ketchup bottles or whatever. Right. You know? It was a ketchup, yeah, so. ketchup versus mustard. Was it? Uh, oh yeah. <laughs> was it L.A. Yeah, and uh, yeah, I mean yeah. St. Louis? Well, L.A. now, but was it? I think right. St. Louis right. and uh, Tampa Bay. I think. Yeah, I mean it was that was that was hard on the eyes, and of course the, there was the Jets and the Bills in the first matchup uh, for that thing, and and they absolutely confounded colorblind individuals because they weren't <laughs> able to uh, differentiate one team from the other. <laughs> that's terrible. I mean, I'm, I'm, you know, fortunate not to be colorblind, but that's, yeah, I mean, that's, you don't, you know, if you're alien, I don't know what percentage of people are colorblind, but let's not alienate our fan base here with, uh, you know, fancy uniform gimmicks. Yeah, well, there you go. The minute that, the minute that the, you know, we always talk about form versus function, right? The minute that functionality gets, uh, you know, really shoved out the, out the, out the window, which certainly happened in that case, then I think we really need to, <laughs> need to rethink things. Well, here, here's something that I kind of lament. Uh, I, I feel like, you know, maybe things got too stripey, uh, you know, in the, in the eighties well, with baseball uniforms. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. The 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 the, the, the racing stripes that we saw with the with a number of teams, uh, that sort of thing. Uh, you know, we're at the point now where I don't even know I don't even know how many teams in Major League Baseball employ stripes at all. Uh, you know, even around their even around their sleeves. Uh, very very few. At this I mean, point. It's kind of, yeah. I mean, the, the, you look at the Phillies, and the Phillies have worn the same uniform since what, 1992, and they still have these big chunky stripes. Look at the Yankees road uniforms, right? Mm-hmm. Yankees road uniforms are, you know, for this tradition-bound franchise, are stuck in 1973 when they went to polyester. <laughs> That's so, true. Uh, they are. They're very, yeah, very, very surprising very examples. But I think, you know, I'll tell you what. I think that you know bold striping might make a comeback because that's a way that you could potentially preserve the template. You know, if we're if we're committed to you know buttons and belts and this is just the way things are, then uh, you can you can pop some stripes on there and really kind of you know mix it up and and get away from from what might be very traditional in a, in an easy fashion. Let's look at striping in terms of uh, the NFL. Uh, or football and football in general. Uh, I'm a, I'm a I'm a pro sports guy prim- primarily, but this certainly applies to college athletics and and other levels uh, as well. You know, with the change in the way that the the actual uniform is is designed, uh, you know, as to be the more functional for the player. Uh, yeah. One of the things that we're seeing is the is the demise or at least the diminishment of a lot of really pretty sleeve striping and and, yeah and i i I, you know i really miss that i understand why that's the case but uh visually i it it makes for some odd 
some some odd looks with teams that are kind of they're trying to retain the striping because it's been a part of their uniform but now it's I don't know what it looks like you know you've got stripes around half of your arm and offensive linemen <laughs> oftentimes it's like, it's like an appendant it's like an appendix it's, a, it's like this vestigial organ <laughs> that's still with us and we have no need for <laughs> that's exactly what it is that's that's, that's a know, great that's a great way to put it yeah, I, and and I'll tell you, yeah, you look at a, a team like the Colts, or you know, I mean, there are certain franchises that 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 you know, over the shoulder striping in in the NFL is such a you know big component of their visual package, and it just gets totally truncated. And yeah, it's kind of sad. I think so. Um, you know, and and I think the baseball equivalent of that would be stirrups, right? Where you had this block of color that really complemented. You know the rest of the uniform from the head. You know, literally from the button on a on a cap, right down to the shoes. And we've lost that. And you know, we've lost striping and patterns there. And and again, some very fundamental element um, that originally. You know, think about the first. You know, the first professional franchise was the Cincinnati Red Stockings, right? <laughs> Extrapolated into Reds ultimately. And you had the Browns, yeah. and, right? All this stuff. Right. And uh, you know, we've lost this this thing that that uh, you know I, I I think it you know you see pockets of it come back depending upon the player who wants to kind of you know buck buck the uh, you know break the mold a little bit and and be an individual but yeah right that's a big yeah. deal and it's and, it, and it's and it's basically all or nothing now either guys have them jacked up to their knees <laughs> or, yeah. or 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 you got nothing at all you know the the uh, the stirrup that's kind of just up the up the calf or whatever is that 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 basically no that look no longer exists and I, yeah I, who knows you know I mean it, it's funny I recently um, I, I participated in an event uh, it was a hot stove uh, discussion and one of the panelists was a major league pitcher young guy and uh, when the when the thing was over we you know we were just chatting a bunch of us were chatting and we were talking about uniforms and um, you know we were, we were we were talking about color and uniforms and all this stuff and now that I think about it it didn't necessarily have to do necessarily with stirrups but I want to take a look and see if he wears stirrups because <laughs> you know shows a little stirrup in whatever way shape or form because uh i would think that a guy like that you know they, they think about these things yeah i mean and, and all it's going to take at some point is you get you get a handful of the right guys doing it and it, it, it might be the thing that you know every every kid playing baseball thinks is the cool thing to do again well, there you go. Get a Mike Trout to to show perfect stirrup, or you know, wear wear his uniform a certain way, and that could well influence an entire generation. <laughs> yeah, I feel now. I feel like it's incumbent uh, upon me to try and spearhead this movement. <laughs> do we? We, we need to like start a, a change dot org petition. Perhaps. <laughs> we do. I don't know what the hashtag will be. Will it be like Mike Trout in appropriate hosiery <laughs> or, or yeah, something? I think, well, I think, no, we'll, we'll need to like we'll, we can start a marketing campaign but you're right it all starts with a hashtag so you know we'll figure out a way to keep this under 140 characters and and you know this is how revolutions start <laughs> that's it maybe that is maybe one day when uh, they look back upon this podcast that would oh you mean the Mike Trout podcast it was a turning point <laughs> well let me ask it was you a pivotal <laughs> moment a pivotal moment it could well be it could be i mean we're early in the we're early in the 21st century i mean this could be you know this could be the thing that we're both remembered for you know <laughs> it, it could be my 
uh, it could be our only ticket into the Hall of Fame. <laughs> well, without I, having to pay to get in. <laughs> well, I know that I know that you have some of your designs there, so I'm I I am but a, uh, a humble educator. So I need any I need any ticket. Uh, I literally need a ticket <laughs> to get into the Hall of Fame. <laughs> is what I'm telling you. So I need a metaphorical uh, ticket at, at this point. Uh, hey, let me let me ask you a few things of, uh, about the NFL with the time that we have uh, remaining here. And, and and I gotta I gotta ask you. I mean, we're going so long. We haven't even talked basketball or hockey yet. Can I get that's you? Episode two. That's episode two. Okay, good. I I, I want to get you back on, and we'll, we'll put this uh, we'll put this thing into two segments because there's just too much uh, uniform goodness and badness uh, to, to to be covered uh, in 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 but uh, 45 or 50 minutes. But while we're still talking NFL, I want to ask you uh, where, where do you stand? This this for me is one of the questions that I. I feel like I have to ask every uh, human being that I meet in order to assess uh, what kind of person they are. Um, what did you think of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers creamsicle uniforms? And there is a right wow, answer, yeah. Todd. I'm telling you, there's a right answer to this. I feel strongly. No, so wait, so I have to, uh, so at the time that they were out or or now? Well, if, if the impression is different uh, between your young self and your mature self, uh, I, I would certainly be uh, interested to hear how you have evolved on the issue. All right, well, you know what? I liked them then, and I'm going to tell you why I liked them then. I am... I'm going to turn 52 years old very soon, and I remember the World Football League very, very well. Matter of fact, my father used to, I never went to a New York Stars game, but he used to take my brother along, and I still have some programs here from the World Football League. And in the World Football League, you had the Southern California Sun, and they used to show these games. The Car Carling sponsored these games. The game of the week, the Philadelphia Bell, the Southern California Sun wore magenta and orange uniforms, okay? <laughs> so, you know, the creamsicles weren't necessarily such a, you know, such a weird diversion. Yeah, it's almost conservative I mean, you know, by comparison. The, yeah, the, the Bucks come in in, what, 76? And the WFL was 74, 75. So it's like, you know, once you've seen, you know, bright uh, Pepto-Bismol, it's a little darker than that. You know, it wasn't so bad. And I thought it was, you know, listen, I, I had never been to Florida at that point. And it was like, oh, well, you know, Florida, it's got to be like orange and, you know, I mean, white helmets and all that stuff. And Bucko Bruce, um... And, and, you know, let's face it, that team just sucked right out of the gate. <laughs> they were terrible. Six straight games. So, you know, it, it basically gave, gave you know, a stink eye to those uniforms. <laughs> and when they got replaced with pewter, it was like, yeah, this is kind of contrived. And, you know? Yeah. Uh, I felt that way. Let's hear it. You, you like those. I, lo I, I, like I love those. That, that's probably my favorite an uh, NFL uniform ever, and I've probably just lost all credibility as a as a as a uniform critic with that. I don't, I, I, you know, I got to say I'm kind of in I'm in the tank for 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 orange though. I mean that is that's my color. So I agree. Hey, orange is like orange is one of my favorite personal colors. Yeah. I've got I've got you know I've got an orange scarf. I've got you know orange. I've actually have orange Chuck Taylors. You know, yeah, I like well, orange. See, orange is a good Good man, and, and that takes me and that takes me back to the Astros again. I mean, I think that I was drawn to to them in the '70s, not just the te tequila sunrise design, but the fact that that was the primary color uh, in the design was the, the the Astros logo was always my favorite when I was a kid. Yeah, I, I love that Astros logo because 
Astrodome in it, which was really cool. And let me interject for a second with something personal. Like I said at the very outset of our conversation, you know, my dad was sort of this, I, I described him as a creative jack of all trades. Well, in 1973, uh, one of his photography clients was High Karate Cologne. <laughs> and High Karate was endorsed by Bobby Riggs. So he went out to the Houston Astrodome to shoot photos of the, you know, tennis match of all time, the Battle of the Sexes. Yes. Uh, Billie Jean King and Bobby Riggs. And he came home, I was nine years old, and, you know, with little souvenirs and all that stuff, and told told us stories about the opulence of the Astrodome. So the Astrodome really, like, held this very, like, you know, mysterious and dear place in my heart. Uh, and, and, you know, just a certain amount of weirdness attached to it. And consequently, that logo... You know, I associate with all of that. That is very much in line with with my own experience. I I never got to go to a game at the Astrodome. In fact, I I went to Houston last uh, summer for the first time that I'd ever been there, and uh, I went to a few Astros games. But the highlight of my trip by far was going and basically uh, kind of <laughs> kind of creeping around the Astrodome, if you will, uh, my, myself and my wife. Where I'm, you know, she doesn't really understand what's going on and I'm trying to explain to her that this uh, sort of abandoned <laughs> structure is a, you know, a highly important part of my life and I actually went down and I was I was I was playing with the door seeing if like a door was open because I was willing to I was willing to uh, try and talk my way out of a trespassing charge to get inside the, <laughs> to get inside the door what was yeah, I'm, I'm very uh, thankful I got to one game there in the early 90s. It was against the Dodgers, and, you know, I got photos, and, yeah, I mean, it, it really was pretty cool. And I think just, you know, briefly, they have, I believe, secured a plan, if I'm not mistaken, to preserve it in some way, shape, or form as some kind of a park. I think there's actually funding in place. And, really? Uh, I, actually, I, do, I do know a guy who is very... Uh, involved with all that out there so okay so my more info from him. okay my chances of getting into so you're telling me that there's a chance that i'm going to get yeah, inside yeah, the yeah. dome one day that's that's a big that's a bucket list item and 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 if they convert it into something i don't have to risk going to jail which would be nice no 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 we don't want that happening but, <laughs> but, but like i said if you were going to go to jail you know that would be uh you know that, that could be a worthy way <laughs> right i mean if his reasons go that's it's not bad but you know it's funny uh, actually via Twitter uh, uh, last summer I uh, just sort of by chance and this is I'm and this will be in the book uh, that I, that I'm working on uh, hopefully at some some point when that sees the light of day but uh, I got introduced to uh, the guy who designed the Astros logo and he also chose the font and was involved in the design of the uh, tequila sunrise and so uh, I felt like when I found out just somebody just very uh, casually told me said hey you know that uh, um, I'd posted a, a Houston Astros program and uh, he said you know my father-in-law did the artwork on that program and so I I messaged him on tw on Twitter and said oh wow really and he's like oh yeah you know he he did a lot of things he designed the logo and the uniforms and it was sort of like that moment where the the needle goes across the record you know I and it's think, like I think you need to have him on 
<laughs> well, you know, I very well might. It's funny. I uh, he and I are are actually. He was quite young at the time that he that he designed the uh, original logo, and so he and I actually are are, are are really good friends now. And when I went to Houston last summer, uh, he he was actually kind enough to uh, put me up at his house uh, wow. <laughs> for, for the for the weekend. Yeah, and he's just a a wonderful uh, man. Harry Brashear is is his name, and uh, just a terrific terrific guy and uh he's got a pretty interesting story so uh but that was a great thrill for me i i remember you know at the time thinking oh my you know i'm laying there in bed and i'm thinking to myself you know man i'm i'm, I'm friends with the guy who designed the astros logo how cool is that but That's crazy. <laughs> think, think about all of the joy and conversation that he brought forth into the world with you know, with what, his, what he created. <laughs> oh, you know, it, it, no doubt about it. And that's what I was telling him. I was almost like, I'm talking to him on the phone, and he's just a very unassuming guy. And he said that through his life, he'd, he'd had, you know, very little attention about this because he just worked for a, he worked for an advertising agency that the, that the Astros worked through. And so they would, uh, you know, send over designs or ideas for him, and he would come up with his own ideas and put these things out. And he said that the, the baseballs orbiting the Astrodome was just done on a, as a lark. That wow. nothing that they were sending over was being viewed favorably by, by the brass, and it just kind of as a as as a joke. He said, "Well, well, maybe we'll just do baseballs orbiting the the uh, Astrodome," and so he he drew it up and sent it over, and sure enough, they liked it. And all these years, you know, it's stuck in our collective memory. It's great. Yeah. So, so uh, the Buccaneers, other, you know, I, 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 one of the things that really disappointed me is, and it's in going back to the Dave Winfield theory of your identity is, uh, you know, what you've won uh, a championship, or in this case, multiple championships. The, the I, I, for me personally, I feel like the Patriots redesign in the early '90s was unfortunate. Well, you know what, I, I might beg to differ on that because I think that, you know, at that time the Patriots were this, you know, moribund franchise. They were on the verge of moving to St. Louis. You know, they were gonna you know, that that Pat Patriot was not beloved at that time. Uh, in retrospect, it's like this really cool, quirky thing that we associate with the franchise. But, you know, the the, the Patriots modernize what they you know, they put forth what they did in the early nineties and let me tell you by the standards of the era, that's a pretty refined logo. And it stood the test of time for a couple of reasons. Number one, it wasn't as outlandish as many identities and sports that were put out there at that point. And number two, of course, yeah, it's associated, as you said, with this era of greatness. And uh, in their case, you know, they sell a ton of stuff with Pat Patriot attached to it. Um, and he could be sort of part of their, their heritage brand, right? Right. But, uh, but yeah, it's, that's winning, winning will, you know, especially a prolonged era of winning, will absolutely, you know, cement an identity to a franchise. It happens all the time. A um, couple more questions on the NFL, and we will wrap up segment one. Um, the Bengals, the, the Bengals stripes. 
when they when they made that move, and and I know actually back in the late '60s that Bengal stripes were were under consideration. For, yeah, they prototyped them. There's that yeah. photo of Paul Brown reviewing the helmets, right? So it, so it was maybe not as much of a departure as people felt like it was at the time. And, of course, <laughs> Paul Brown going from uh, Cleveland, which is, uh, you know, about as simplistic as it, as it gets, to, to Cincinnati, which is almost as simplistic as, <laughs> as it gets with just the Bengals. Very, very uh, charming in a way, really, just Bengals. Yeah, I actually, I actually like that helmet. But uh, you know, where, where did you stand at the time? And you know, what do you think now about the Bengals helmet? Because that's always been one that has stood out to me as being uh, on the you know sort of like a standard deviation away from what what you see with most helmets. Yeah, no, you know what? I was fascinated when that came out, and it really you know struck me as just like wow, this is just completely different. It's really cool. Um, and I still think it's cool. I don't like the uniforms, but I think the helmets have really stood the test of time. And one of the reasons, you know, doing what I do professionally and have thought about it uh, at great length, probably, you know, too much length, is that, you know, I, I kind of come back to the very first decorated NFL helmet, which was the LA Rams, you know, back to LA now, right, with that Ram horn. That was in 1948 or whatever. And when you think about it, it's not a logo. It's really using the totality of the helmet as a decoration. Whereas, you know, think about the Packers, the 49ers, or the Giants, right? I mean, that's a logo. Yep. Uh, it's not all over. So, you know, here here is this team that really identifies this team as the Cincinnati Bengals uh, in a very, you know, unique and tangible way. I love them. I really do. Last question on the topic of the NFL. As far as other redesigns go. Uh, you feel like the Patriots redesign was a hit. It would be hard to argue with that in terms of, uh, as you say, the success that the organization has had and the fact that uh, th that logo is now uh, inextricable from the six Super Bowl appearances and, and or seven Super Bowl appearances uh, while they've been wearing uh, some variation of the, of the current design. Uh, other other redesigns, like in terms of hits and misses, are there any that stand out for you as as you feel like it was it was really a good move, or anywhere you feel like a, a team took a, a step in the wrong direction by rebranding? NFL, we're talking. Yeah, NFL. You know, I'm not a fan of the Jacksonville Jaguars current look, uh, and and I couldn't put my finger on it. You know, it's easy to be a critic and hate everything, right? And, it all changes, people react to change, but I, I really felt in the case of Jacksonville, I'm like, it's not a logo, it's an illustration. Mm. It's not, you know, this word that gets thrown around and we all do it, iconic. Uh, not that they were coming from this, you know, place of tradition and history that could never change, but, you know, it's so, the, the, the current look is so noodled and certainly that bizarro thing going on with the two-toe and uh, don't you get know, it's it. An example of, yeah, it's an example of just because you can doesn't mean you shouldn't. So <laughs> I'm really, really not a fan. I'll tell you what, I think that, you know, a look that's been around for a while and I think needs to shift towards something brighter is the Philadelphia Eagles. Yes. The Eagles' wings are beautiful and that little bit of definition is totally, totally cool. But, you know, the color leaves me a little bit wanting and I think there's been this huge push 
uh, in Philadelphia among the fan base that's longing for something for, you know, go back to the Kelly Green. Yes. You can merge those things together. Um, Put the game more. Yeah, some other, like, you know, recent ones. I don't know, you know, the Seahawks. Seahawks really a very progressive look, and, you know, that's a real Nike-fied thing. I think it works for them. I really do, and I think that, that you know, the, the neon green of all, it's not, you know, the whole uniform, that little hit. I, I really like it. I think that they stepped the original up to a look that, you know, it's derived from that. Clearly, there's a connection, but uh, it really works for them, and, and I really do like it. Yeah, I would I would agree with that. I, I think that uh, it's like I think there was at least one game somewhere along the way, maybe more than one game, where they actually wore the Volt. I think it's Volt green <laughs> that they yeah, wore, right. they, that they wore it as like the the you know the the main color of the jersey, and that was uh, that yeah, was that was a little much. You know? <laughs> right, but just like that little hit uh, in the logo, and you know, as part of the trim. I think it's really pretty cool, and you know, and I, I think that uh, it's like a, 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 a very you know uh, as tasteful an evolution as you can possibly get, given the you know the modern aspects of it and a lot of the bells and the whistles of it, right? What did you think about the dolphins? Um, I like certain parts of it, and I didn't like certain parts of it. I like the return to you know this more vibrant aqua. Because I don't know what they had become at a certain point, and you know, just the amount of white was really cool. But the, you know, the logo leaves me a little bit cold. I think the logo uh, sort of it's it's stylized to the point that it could be like you know a transit system or a bank. I'm not quite sure. <laughs> right? What do you think? Uh, you know, that's interesting that you say that. I I think the thing I, the thing that bothers me about it is that they changed the uh, the, the, the the helmet stripe. Yeah, no, you're right. You're right. And I, I think that I would like it a lot more if the helmet stripe was was primarily orange with the with the aqua accents rather than what it is. I think yeah, that I think that bugs and of course, me. You know, they they own that color scheme, right? I mean, it's really so so them, and you know, it suits the market and the city and. You know, I think it makes a lot of sense. So, like I said, the vibrancy, you know, for me, that was the real shift was, you know, getting back toward this this proper balance. All right, I've got, I've got to, you know, I've got to end this segment, but I, I got one more thing here, and this is this is why we need two segments, folks. Is that I can't, right, we'll get it, I yeah. can't stop, I can't first. stop asking Todd questions, and every time <laughs> I think of something, I think of something else. Where, kind of where, where do you stand in terms of uh, getting a little bit funky and creative with 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 the numerals? I mean, it, it, I mean, I'm not, I'm not saying that everybody has to go varsity, but right. so, but sometimes it, it, it seems like it, it's gotten to the point where again, function is we're losing something in terms of basic function. No, I agree, and I'll tell you what. I have a friend of mine who I went to college with, who has been the team photographer for the New York Jets for you know twenty something years now, and uh, I remember you know. When the when the aforementioned Jacksonville Jaguars came into the league, um, you know, in the in the mid '90s, him saying to me they had a triple outline right around their numbers, mm -hmm. and there was a very clear varsity numbers, but with just a lot of outline and a lot of color, and him saying to me that you know the functionality of it was kind of a kind of lost at that point. Uh, stylization, yeah, I mean, you know, at at the core, and believe me, I've designed a ton of number sets for different teams and. You know letters, and yeah, I think that that it's got to be readable. 
that's the thing. And yeah, I, I think, you know, especially as it relates to football, I was I am not a fan of the Pittsburgh Steelers italicized sans serif numbers. <laughs> I, I, I somehow in my mind I, I picture the, the uh you know, the, the classic Steelers teams of the of the seventies, eighties with those, you know, just honest and solid and I think there's something you know, there's a little bit too much movement yeah. within those for as me. solid is the work ethic of the people of Pittsburgh yeah, you know I mean it suits the franchise the personality you know the DNA if, if you want to call it that uh, it just you know seems it's like a, it's like an odd little note you know that that uh, it's not not the worst thing in the world because in that case there's not a lot of stylization and there's certainly none, you know very little color but it just seems kind of wrong and then you do have you know teams that try too hard you know look at the Vikings um, there's something about those they're all wiggly I don't know I mean I'm just a little like eh, I'm left uh, left wanting a little bit bothers me you know that they're that they're not the same. <laughs> that, that the for, at least for I don't know yeah. if it's all of them, but some but they're literally not the same. If it's on the no, no, no. yeah, I it goes, goes against the like, uniform uniformity. Yes, and, you know, yeah, and no, I, I I would absolutely agree. It's one of these. I absolutely agree. Kind of violates my uniform OCD. <laughs> or, so, or, so, or something. It just bothers me. I want to, I just want to go and like re-outfit them in, you know, Alan Page's jersey or something and say, here, wear this instead. Well, you can't go wrong with that. You, <laughs> you totally can't go wrong with that. But, uh, yeah, it's, I, I absolutely agree. There's something weird about it. And listen, on the other end of the spectrum, you know, shifting back to baseball real briefly is, you know, I've got the Blue Jays who once again found their split numbers and that's to me, part of their visual DNA. Love that. And it worked so well for them. And I just love the, you know, the, the rebrand from several years ago because, again, it built upon what they originally were, took them back to where they were, but, you know, kicked it into the, the middle of the 21st century here. Yeah, that was an ex. A couple of really, really uh, well thought uh, redesigns there in the, in the AL East over the course of the last few years between Baltimore and, and, and Toronto. That, I mean, those are a couple of ball clubs that really did themselves a favor, I think, by uh, uh, going back to the past and, and, and you know, doing it with a, with a little bit of an eye on uh, remaining contemporary. Yes, and I think that in both cases, you know, there's, there's uh, quite a bit of, of empirical evidence that, that says that the fans have embraced that and certainly, you know what, there you go again, you know, uh, winning helps a lot of things. And in both cases, there was a little bit of a resurgence for each franchise that coincided with that respect, with each respective change. Todd Radom, I'm having so much fun with this. What do you say we do it again? Ricky, we've got to get to the uh, NHL and the NBA, so I foresee a whole other segment in our future. And, and not not to mention the ABA, and maybe okay. maybe and even UFL. maybe even a little bit of USFL, WHA. We 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 still got some stuff to talk about. Yeah, we certainly do. There's a lot a lot of ground to be covered, but I think we we uh, put down a good foundation tonight. We certainly have. Todd, thanks so much for being on. We'll do it again next time. Thank you for the opportunity, Ricky. What a great conversation. Thanks a lot. All right. Oh, man, how much fun was that? Todd Radom, what a terrific guy. And we're going to do it again. Stay tuned in upcoming weeks for part two of the Todd Radom Super 70 Sports Podcast. It ought to be amazing stuff. We'll talk NHL, NBA, WFL, USFL. And I think one of the things that I learned today 
is that magenta and orange is actually a pretty good combination. The Southern California sun was onto something and some team needs to be bold enough to bring that color scheme back. Until next time, I'm Ricky Cobb saying thanks for listening to the Super 70 Sports Podcast. Catch you next time.